Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song's Second Chance Theater, where we recover a topic, but with a new guest. I'm your host, John, and with me today, well, picked another banger of an episode to recover. It's Matt Coplick, everyone! Woo! I'm so happy you picked this. I'm so happy, too. I don't... I'm I'm ready for this to go wherever it's going to go for the next however long uh buckle up kids this one might be two hours long i don't know i mean <laughs> if, if anything is if it's any indication from the fucking chicago episode who knows this could be 20 minutes it could be five hours I, yes uh we're here today just to, to recover mama mia from 2008 everyone fuck you're really like digging early 2000s music musical movies i was um, younger then I was uh, younger. I was tighter all, then. My skin was shinier then. I want to all, take you back. Yeah. Um, previously, this uh, episode number 44 with the guest Derek Speedy that Matt knows now because of the live that we did. I so, do. Yeah. This is also like early days of the podcast. Everyone, like, after re listening to that episode, I was like, oh, God, I don't think I really understood what I was doing. Um, I don't think I still know what I'm doing, but we we take this time to no, we take this time to learn and grow and just get better, you know. So how we do, Matt? You also picked this one. I can't remember which one. I know you told me one at the when we were planning the live, and then you picked another one randomly afterwards. I don't remember which one was which one came first, the chicken or the egg, but. Why did you want to recover this topic, this movie? Um. So, okay, first of all, I have a reveal for you. As okay. you talk about this one, <clears throat> what, what do I have in my hand, John? You have uh, wine. You have some I sure wine. do. Rosé. Uh, rosé all day. Rosé all day. So, full disclosure, <laughs> I, I love this movie. Not in the same way that I love Chicago, which... Yes, Which I can understand this sentiment because I feel like a lot of people will agree with you. Yeah, well, I'm sort of I'm halfway. So like, if Chicago is one end of the spectrum and Christmas on the Square is on the other end of the spectrum, Mamma Mia is slap dab in the middle. Where so okay, actually, I have I have a hot take, and this I swear this is not for social. This is like truly something I feel because um, I don't know if you remember when Mamma Mia two came out. Mamma um, Mia, here we go again. <laughs> Which I, I can never say it. I can never just say uh Mamma Mia. I'm like, Mamma Mia, here we go again. Yeah. Uh Mamma Mia, here we go again. When it came out, everyone was like, Oh my god, this one's like actually good. Just you wait. Like, oh, it's it totally blows the first one out of the water. Cause a lot of people were also disappointed with the first one in a lot of ways, but and like over time came to appreciate what it does. And so I went into two ready to be like, okay, here we go. Good movie. Here again. we go. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. And I saw it and I was like, oh no. No, 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 no. So like oh, yeah. This is my hot take about Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Mamma Mia is a good movie made poorly. 
And Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is a bad movie made well. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, Philida Lloyd, who's the... Philida Lloyd is the director of Mamma Mia. She also did it on stage. Yes. And this was her first movie, as far as I can tell. And you you can tell it's her first movie. Yeah. And there's you know also I mean? like, some, like, choices made, especially in casting. Cast, casting, some of it, yeah. Editing. There's one of my favorite games to play with Mamma Mia is Guess When It's Grease and Guess When It's the Soundstage. Because there are times when, like, Amanda Seyfried will turn the corner and it's fully Mykonos. And then, like, she makes her way around the riverbend. And you're like, oh, hello, London Soundstage. Hello, Pinewood. And it's it's not a, like, a flaw necessarily. Because now it's part of the charm of the film. And you could argue that they were trying to go for that old school Hollywood feel of, you know, oh, we're the, on the town. We're, like, running on a street and we turn the corner and it's clearly an L.A. soundstage. But I don't think that's truly what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to make a blend of it. And Phil Lloyd just didn't know how. But right. the movie, similar to the stage show, it is purely just trying to have a good time and, like, goes for the high art camp of it all and sometimes achieves it. But because most of the people behind the camera, this was their, like, training ground, there are some things that are just not well made that people not affiliated with the show will be able to let go of it, you know? Uh, whereas the whereas Mamma Mia here we go again everyone behind the camera knows how to make movies so like all the things about continuity lighting like that's all fine that's all taken care of it's just you know the script and the characters that are bad yeah a bad idea that with a character that shows up that is dead in this one okay she's dead she's dead the the Donna's mother is dead. They have lines saying she's no, dead. No, not not Donna's mother. Sophie's mother. Donna. Donna herself is dead. No, no, no. I mean in oh, Mamma yeah, Mia. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. We can't get into the, so much of the Donna's mother of it all because we're not talking about Mamma Mia. Here we go again. But the continuity errors alone about her mother between this movie and the second movie. First that she's dead. Also that she was like a uber conservative Nancy Reagan type bitch. Like her, like her mom kicked her out of the house because she got pregnant before marriage and all this shit. Yeah, and you're you like, like find out in the sequel that it's full blown Cher, who's an internationally renowned pop star of some sort, like who had her own fling with a much younger man. I'm like that's not a woman who will kick out her daughter for having a kid. That's a woman who'd be like, "You're having a baby, great. Let's make it a trio and tour the world." Here we meanwhile, go. Meanwhile, Again. meanwhile, in here, I'm fuck. I I have to save this because spoiler alert, everyone. We're second chancing Mama Mia. Here we go again. The next episode. So <laughs> with. Derek Speedy. I'm spoiling it for for your listening ears. You will see it on the socials like the day after this comes out anyway. So he, he did the he did the first chance of Mamma Mia, and now he's doing the second chance of Mamma Mia. Here we go again. So let's try not to talk too much about Here We Go Again. We'll do our best. But um, I did okay. So rewatching this one because I don't know about how your relationship is with Mamma Mia as a whole entity you know the stage version and the movie and all of it and all that but like i have a lot of emotional and personal ties to it oh and john I... did you think we weren't going to talk about my history with mama mia <laughs> i didn't did you know. really did you really think you were going to invite me into your house on this day <laughs> of this god of carnage and not have me 
explain everything about yeah. happened, what happened to thank, me. Thank you for coming for coming back to talk about what Mamma Mia did to you. Um, for me, though, it's Show a lot me of... on the doll where Mamma Mia touched you. <laughs> for me, though, it's a lot of emotional ties, uh, mainly with my grandmother, who I don't, I don't... I don't get too personal on this podcast, but now I'm going to get super personal. Um, Mamma Mia, I saw the show with my mom, my grandma, and my grandma. And after the show, my grandmother somehow conned her way to go backstage to talk to the woman who played Tanya that night. Because my grandmother wrote songs for fun and as a side hustle and everything. And she wanted the woman who played Tanya to sing some of the songs. Meanwhile, I'm out in the lobby with my mom, who my mom is like losing her mind and getting worried and nervous, thinking that her dad, my grandfather, is going to ground her because she lost her mom. Uh, so it's it was a great day. We we all laughed afterwards. You know, my grandmother mm-hmm. came out and we're all fine and everything. And then jump years ahead to when the movie came out. Um, the movie came out a year before my grandmother passed away and this was the last movie we all saw together in the theaters. So yeah, it's a little bit of emotional. I mean, rewatching yeah. this, I got a little emotional and everything. And then, uh, and then the, on the first chance I talked about how I worked in a costume shop and we worked on the jumpsuits and it was a high stress thing, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, watching this movie, I definitely checked out during the book scenes. Sure. Um, I'm going to call it that because I don't know what else to say. Yeah, and then, t- legally and then speaking, the, bear book scenes. And then when the musical, the musical moments happened and the songs happened, I somewhat paid attention. Because, like, I mean, the last time you were on, we talked about Chicago. And Chicago is the one that, like, you know, once it, like, blew up and became a smash hit, it was everywhere was on TV in Mediamente. Like you would see it on planes and on buses and on this and that. And it was everywhere. This one, the same, but like, I think I burnt myself out on it. Mm-hmm. The Personally. So the, Mamma Mia is interesting in terms of its cultural impact, the movie. Same thing with the stage shows. So like, we'll get into the stage show in a quick second, just because that's a little longer for my history. But the movie, like the movie came out while the stage show was still running. On Broadway in the West End. I think it's still running in the West End. Yeah, uh, yeah that sounds right. They love yeah. it there. Yeah, well, we, we it's been loved everywhere. It's gone. It's, you know, some places it's lasted a little bit longer than others. But every, there's no country yet that has not loved this show. <laughs> but, I mean, Mamma Mia already was culturally known. It it has, there's a whole episode of Will and Grace about the stage show. Uh, the movie... Oh, right. Yeah, where Will and Jack take Will's mom to see it. Uh, sorry, I was, I was thinking about that episode. It's a good episode. But the movie came out and everyone was sort of iffy about it. There were, Everyone was iffy about the casting. Everyone didn't think it was going to translate. And like a lot of those concerns ended up being correct. And some of them ended up being unimportant. But ultimately, the movie became a whole other sensation on its own it didn't become the same cultural phenomenon that chicago was i think only because like chicago lasted longer in theaters overall and also just was such a 
cultural shift whereas Mamma Mia was you know it was a summer movie and it was everyone was sort of riding high in it but nobody it didn't like it didn't change the zeitgeist of the pop culture vernacular you know other than other than the narrative that Meryl Streep is now a box office draw that's because it came off of the heels of Devil Wears Prada which was another big box office hit for her and Um, this was her being like you know what I fucking want to do a musical so I'm going to so so the story I heard and you know everyone take this with a grain of salt because I didn't hear this from Meryl's mouth but I heard this through enough channels that there's probably some semblance of truth to it what I was told was that Meryl got the script and the offer. I believe they originally wanted Olivia Newton-John and they couldn't secure financing with her. And she hadn't been in a movie probably since Xanadu. I know, so, but like, I, I just imagine Olivia Newton-John. I know it would have, it would have, it would have slayed. It would have been, it would have been great. Even if it was as bad and wildly edited and Pierce Brosnan yeah. still saying it would, it's Olivia. No, I'm just saying Meryl did a bad job. No, I know. Meryl... I I do like Meryl in this movie. It's yes. it's probably my least favorite vocal performance of Meryl's. But if you also, I will say, there's a lot of rumors out there about like dubbing with Meryl, and I don't agree with any of them because if you listen to her in this Into the Woods and the Prom, it's all clearly the same voice. It's just that she got better with each one, and I do think that's just because like she's just started singing again. And when right. you, when you tune yourself back up. Surprise, folks. It can kick back in. Because I know before she became Meryl Streep movie star, um, she was a theater actress. Like, she did plays, though, or did she also do musicals? She did musicals. She was in a musical on Broadway called Happy End, which was a vile, Kurt Vile musical. Um, okay. She did, and she had done a, a stage musical called Alice at the Palace by Elizabeth Swatos. Like, she basically, everyone in New York in the theater scene knew her as already is like she who can do everything and then it took hollywood a few years to realize that but when they realized that they thought i was like oh meryl can do all the accents and then it wasn't really until postcards from the edge everyone's like oh fuck she sings too right but then it took her until this movie to actually be in a musical movie yeah. because you know do you she know that doing... she, do you know that she was gonna do Evita? i mean I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if she also was going was attached at one point to do Chicago or I mean, Maybe. you know what I, you know what I mean? Every, like I, every everyone and their mom was attached to Chicago at some point. Like Britney Spears was auditioned, Mira Sorvino and Tony Collette, Liza Minnelli, like everyone in the world. So right. I'm sure at one point they're like, Meryl, do you want to play Go to Hell Kitty? And she was like, oh, why not? <laughs> um no, she got very so she apparently the rumor is that she was approached to do the stage show in 79 when she was sort of like a burgeoning actress she had just done deer hunter and was oscar nominated kramer versus kramer was coming out that year so it was like she was on the cusp of becoming a movie star she was at that point she was sort of known but not famous and how true that rumor is who knows but that didn't work out and then Throughout the entire 80s, it was like, who will do the movie version of Evita? And the closest it ever got was her and Oliver Stone directing it. Was that um, the story goes, she said she wanted to do it. And she was still very much Meryl Streep already by then. And they're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But like, can she sing it? So she like went to like, I don't know, some bungalow or whatever with like the music supervisor banged out the entire score in like a weekend on all these demos sent it to andrew Lloyd weber oliver stone tim rice and they were like holy fuck who knew she could sing like this 
And they're like, great, here we go. And that ended up falling through because of a lot of reasons. Like they were going to film it on location in Argentina, but Argentina was going through a new political regime change. So like it was unsafe to film there. And then by the time that they came back to find new locations, Meryl wanted more money. And they're like, no, you're not worth $5 million, Meryl. And so like, like, all, like all these things. Fuck yourselves. Fuck and then Meryl's like, well, fuck you. I know my worth. So with Mama Mia, the story goes was that she got the script. She got the offer. And her husband and kids were like, why would you do this? You haven't done a musical in years. You're out, like, you know, you're older now. You're like kind of out of shape. And like, you're like, you're not right for this. Why would you do this? And basically that was enough for her to be like, fuck you. I'm going to do it. And good. I like to think that Meryl Streep was on that set and thought to herself, I don't know if this movie is going to be any good, but I'm going to get an amazing tan. But And like, you can tell that she's, having fun with christine baranski and dame julie water walters oh yeah she, she there's moments there's moments in this when she's singing and you're like i'm joyful because you're having fun like i yeah it, i also know i do know this for a fact um because when they were making this movie i was at god i was at theater camp stage for a manor when when they were making this and we didn't we didn't cross paths at stage door i want to make this clear no, i worked 1, at stage door years later um no we didn't ask no no conflict of interest anybody but (laughs) um i haven't i know enough people who when we were campers there like they had parents and whatever in the business and all that like people who knew christine bransky personally and, and julie walters personally and all that stuff and i remember at camp uh talking to the parent of a friend of mine and they're like oh yeah we just like spoke to christine the other day like they're they're still filming and i was like oh my god how's it going over there and they said oh well we asked christine you know how it was going and christine said i've never had more fun in my entire life and that is honestly the vibe i think everyone had and i and why everyone was willing to come back and it wasn't that meryl was unwilling to come back for the sequel i think meryl just couldn't she was she was just simply too booked and blessed she was meryl streep (laughs) yeah again she's always been meryl streep but there was it's hard to explain to the Gen Zers how the early 2000s was a weird kind of like career renaissance for her because she never went away. She just like the hot streak that she had had throughout the entire 80s 90s, and sort of the early yeah. early 90s, it cooled off a bit and she never stopped working. She never stopped doing prestige movies, but like the hours and adaptation came out in the same year. And that was sort of like, oh, right. Like we forgot that Meryl is great and like can have fun. She does that whole like getting high scene with Chris Cooper in adaptation. She's so much fun in it. And, you know, she's bopping around in 03, 04, 05. And then Devil Wears product comes out, which everyone thought she was wrong for until the movie dropped. And we're like, well, how could we ever think she was wrong for this? She's iconic. And then Mamma Mia was like a year or two later. And just on Julia and Julia, it's complicated. And now she's become... Mm-hmm even more of a cultural institution than she was before. But this movie really helped sort of solidify that Meryl is iconic, that she can lead a movie. She can bring in box office because this movie was so financially successful. It's I think up until that point, it was the most financially successful movie musical. And I think maybe even still it, when you count international grosses, I think it's actually grossed more than greatest showman. Oh, Probably. It's something like it's something like it grossed 140, 150 million here, which is less than Chicago, which is about 175. 
but it grossed like $500 million overseas in the UK, Japan, China, like huge, huge numbers. The worldwide is basically, is just shy of $700 million. Yeah, and that is worldwide. Yeah, that is, that, ladies and gentlemen, that is almost a billion. That is almost a billion. Almost a billion. And this is circa 2008. And the the budget was estimated at fifty two million, so mm-hmm. it like that numbered it, whatever yeah, numbered it was. That costs a little more than Chicago and a little less than Les Mis. So yeah, think about it, that. And, and and like you know, this is one of those movies where I remember going to the theater, and I think I actually liked it. Like, oh yeah, I liked it. And then now I'm watching it. A little older knowing doing podcasting yeah. about movies and watching things critically and i'm just like oh so every number seems very different in this movie <laughs> like oh she has this 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 number has this movie has flaws this movie has absolute uh, flaws i mean um, from the get we all knew pierce brosnan it was one of the flaws <laughs> we, yeah, all, oh, we it, all agreed on that even then everyone was like oh she's not she's not the moment the moment is not her but so like i remember okay so I think now's a good time to talk about my history with, with the show leading into the movie. So I saw Mamma Mia in the West End when I was a sultry nine years old. And I said, okay. that's one of my running jokes on the podca- on my podcast. Whenever I talk about a certain age I was, I'm always like, I was a very sensual 12. Um, <laughs> uh, but so I was, it was my first trip abroad. Uh, and I went with my family. My grandmother took us um to London and to Paris as sort of a family trip gift. It was a very lovely time. Very, very beautiful time to be me. <laughs> and we see Mamma Mia, which was like a huge hit. It hadn't come to the U S yet. I think the show was oh. nine months old or something. And I knew nothing about it. I didn't know ABBA. I heard the title and I had just seen the kiss me Kate on Broadway with Brian, Brian Stokes Mitchell and Marin Macy. So like, I thought it was going to be something like that. Uh, you hear like Mamma Mia, and you're like, oh, it's like fake Italian operetta. It's Mamma Mia. Oh, I, okay. like, I, was, I was thinking it was going to be that, and it wasn't that. So I was already not into it. And then I was, <laughs> I didn't understand like why people were laughing at certain moments or singing along. I was like, I hate this audience behavior. Everyone's being so gross. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Like, imagine you're also nine, nine, fully nine in like my sweater vest, just arms folded, angry, and being like, when do we go to see Starlight Express? Because I'll never see that show again. And we did, and we all hated it, including myself. (laughs) In the two years between London and Broadway, my mom bought me the ABBA, you know, best of cast, uh, not cast, but best of recording. And I started to get familiar with the songs. And uh, when it opened on Broadway, famously, it opened like right after 9-11. So New York was just so hungry for something, you know, crowd-pleasing. That's right. So it's well, it's also just easy to say, like, oh, if Mamma Mia didn't open right after 9-11, it wouldn't have succeeded. It would have. Would it have become the phenomenon? Who knows? But it would have succeeded because the truth is that Mamma Mia on stage, when you have a cast that gives a shit, it works. And especially – no, I, I and I, I had seen it a few other times since then. But, like, when the cast gave a shit, that show was pretty much fire for me because it's so smart about how stupid it is and and – does all the work for you and on broadway i mean as we also know famously broadway has in my opinion sharper musical theater talent than london london has a lot of really phenomenal you know personality and there's some like unique 
uh, musical theater presences in London, but Broadway just tends to have a larger span of talent. So, you know, everything was just like tighter and sharper on Broadway, but also I got to know the songs better and I, I came to appreciate it. And something I want to talk about because it's ultimately what got Mamma Mia, what started the idea for Mamma Mia as a stage show and why it's in the movie for as long as it is. Cause I listened to this part in your, in your first episode of Mamma Mia, which, which was basically like, why must we have every verse of Winner Takes It All? Which is, <laughs> I don't know if you remember yeah. this, you and Derek were like, it feels like it goes on for a while and it do. And it doesn't totally, it doesn't totally work on, on film. It works fine. But like, I yeah, know so. why they kept the entire thing because it's the song that inspired Judy Kramer to get Mamma Mia done as a stage show. She had, I know you know this, but mm. for your listeners who don't, she got close with Benny and Bjorn of ABBA, the writers of ABBA, while working on chess in London and became a close friend of theirs. And she was listening to their song catalogs and she listened to The Winner Takes It All. And she was like, this could be a ballad and a musical. Like, this is so specific and heartfelt and has a musical theater structure to it. And so basically kept shopping around with different writers and directors trying to get it done as a stage show. And eventually they figured it out. But like, it always came back to like, Winner Takes It All has to be in the show. We have to find a way into it and around it. And Winner Takes It All is like top five most famous ABBA songs. It's like, it's it maybe maybe even top three. It's like that Waterloo and Dancing Queen. I mean, listen, I'm not saying this, like ABBA's got like 30, like huge internationally known songs. Yes. And that's just, that's, that's, that's in terms of like iconic songs. They've got a whole other 30 that a lot of other people know and are very good, but like lo- very big catalog, very good bops. But Winner Takes It All, Dancing Queen and Waterloo are probably like the top three. And in the program for Mamma Mia on stage, they would they listed what the songs were that were going to be included, but not in the order in which they came. Just get ready. Oh, to I don't remember that. that. Oh, I do. I do. It was alphabetical. So it wasn't like scene one, honey, honey, scene two, money, money, money. It was just, these are the songs we're going to have. So the audience knew what to expect. And they're like, oh, great. All the all the hits. And for the first, like, 30 minutes, they knock a couple of big ones out of the way. They knock out Money, 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 Mama Mia. Queen, Mama Mia, Thank You for the Music, Chikatita. Uh, gimme, Gimme, so Gimme, like, okay, Boo, like, Boo, yeah. yeah all, all, uh, SOS is an act two, yeah, but, like, a lot yeah. of the big ones are all in act one. So, every, like, enough of the big ones happen that the audience is okay with it. But they are waiting for Winner Takes It All. And then act two happens, and, like, everyone's sort of waiting for it. But enough of the story happens in act two that the audience doesn't realize that they're kind of forgetting that they're waiting for winner takes it all. Cause then we have the conflict about like, Sophie's got her doubts about the wedding. She's stressed out because the dads all wanted to give her away. And Donna has her doubts about the wedding. And then they do slipping through my fingers all the time. And every parent in the audience cries. My mom cries every time she hears it. I mean, I always got for Clemps in that moment on stage. They don't, they don't do it as hard in the, sh- in the movie, but when Donna reveals that she had to raise Sophie on her own, cause her mom kicked her out. In the movie, she's just like, it's a very hallmarky moment. She's like, and I wouldn't have it any other way. In the stage show, when Sophie hears that her mom disowned her, Sophie like has a very upset reaction to it. Because it's that thing where you hear someone you care about had to go through something in relation to you. And you think, that's because of me. I should never. And like every time I've seen it on stage, it, I've always seen the Sophie start to get like, you can tell she's like about to cry. And Donna's like, no, 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 don't you dare. I would not have it any other way. And that always gets me like teary. But point is that all that happens, right? Like all those great emotions. 
And then Sophie goes off, give me away, mama. She's like, okay, I will, baby. Not in that attitude, but you get it. Right. And then Sam comes in, Pierce Brosnan, if you're nasty, but you know, Alan Campbell, if you're Broadway. And they, they're like the will they, won't they. And they have this very long dialogue scene. And it's like, who's going to give Sophie away? I am. No, Donna, you get, but we got to talk about this. Donna, you can't. I don't want to talk. And I'll never forget being in the Winter Garden Theater in October of 2001. And 1,500 people collectively just going, because <laughs> everyone forgot that they were waiting for the winter to fall. They were so engrossed in the scene. And it was 1,500 people collectively thinking three things. Oh my God, it's happening. Oh my God, I can't believe this is the moment they chose to use this song. And of course, this is the moment they sh- they choose to use this song. It's so perfect. And I can't believe I didn't realize it sooner. And it was so, I've only re- felt those moments in a theater a handful of times. And it never happened ever again in Mamma Mia. But in 2001 on Broadway, the entire audience just went, Ugh! And so that's why it's in the movie. And that's why it's as long as it's in the movie, because like it all just comes back to that. And I think if they were a little smarter, if they were a little more Rob Marshall, Bill Condon-y about it, like via Chicago, we're like, okay, obviously the song has to happen, but we can't have Pierce Brosnan standing on a cliff for five minutes. How do we trim this? And her playing with her shawl. Well, that's because Meryl's like, I need a task to do. She's, she's Yale trained. She needs, she needs props to work with the scene. But like that scene, that only again, and we talked about this in Chicago, right? Like, you only you're you're allowed more time on stage. Audiences are more forgiving of lengthier periods of time, right, especially yeah. if a character is just like going to stand there and fucking take it. And so in the movie, it's sort of like they they keep on trying to shoot around the fact that nothing is happening, that it's just Meryl and Pierce on this like cliff for four minutes as Meryl is just singing constantly about the same emotion, while Brosnan has to just sort of stand there and be like. I was never James Bond. I don't know what you're talking about. And if they were a little smarter about it, they would keep the scene and just make it a little tighter, like cut a verse here or there. Honestly, you could say that for anything after Voulez-Vous in the movie. Because Voulez-Vous is the act one uh, finale. And it feels that way in the movie. Because then all of a sudden you get this weird tonal shift and you're like, and then it's like, oh, fuck, we have to do the wedding now. (laughs) Right, right. We have to we have to tell a story and justify the rest of the songs and we have to fill another hour. Yeah, no. But see, but I love that about the movie. She's a a zesty mess in a in a in a Mykonos dress. And I love that about her. Well, but I mean, I was just watching it. I was watching it literally today. Uh, and as you chug the rest of your wine, everyone, your rosé, <laughs> I, I mean, because there, because the I'm I'm just breaking up by acts. Act one has the the bops that you said, the ones that everyone yeah. remembers, and like you get to lay all your love on me, and there. The, there's a a a um, ton of men in flippers dancing on a pier, and you're just like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm here for it. Um, it's a bevy of uncut dicks, baby. Yes, and then you get to uh, gimme, 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 a man after midnight, and voulez vu, and you're like, oh great, this is like 
conflict and tension and you know great music and choreography and you know oh oh right the the ground is gonna split for whatever reason uh they they kind of hint that that ground is gonna break open after money 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 and i think they do it again right before sos no it breaks after money 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 and there yeah it it, 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 first well it first breaks and then i think it breaks again no she's she's like sealing it together during sos and then it fully splits and becomes a water fountain at at the the end end. but like money 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 to go even further back doesn't feel like it fits in with the film language that they've already set up because it's a dream sequence and not and you have the we never have that again (laughs) you never have that again and there's that shot of uh meryl in like a black void and she's looking around and there's wind and everything and you're but like it's also uh superimposed over other things and you're like what is going on and that never happens again and you're just like okay again that is where it's kind of a good movie made poorly because having a dream sequence there is not um unfounded it can happen it's just i they don't establish that this is a world where we're going to do that or it's ever going to happen again and i think if it's going to be a one-off it actually needs to be even more ridiculous it's like not quite ridiculous enough but what was and, interesting oh co- sorry continue no, 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 it's, it's not, it's, that's all really like it's just not quite interesting it's not quite ridiculous enough to solely be a one-off and i think that's sort of the problem but apparently apparently they filmed under attack which is sophie's nightmare yes. that only opens act two they apparently did film that and that was supposed to be in the movie and so i wonder if uh money 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 as it is filmed would seem less ridiculous if we had a slightly similar version of that for under attack so we had that twice in the movie but mm. because they cut under attack which i understand because you gotta just kind of skim through things sometimes i wonder that. if that's why <laughs> i wish we had that um, I, I love Under Attack. Well, what I did notice this time, after seeing this a handful of times, so you can chastise me all you want, Matt, but at the end of Money, 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 the, you know, the, when they're on the, the deck of the the yacht that they borrowed from somebody, you could tell that it was like, oh, Jim's got a yacht, let's use his. If you look where they're sitting on the yacht, you notice that there's this weird printed fabric behind them, and then they they do a match cut back to reality and that's the same print on the sheets on the outside of the hotel. And that's how they try to tie it back into reality. And I was just like, sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyone who's looking for reality and mama Mia is looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, I mean the reality of the movie. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's also my imitation of all the critics of Mamma Mia. Meh, 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 But that's sort of the thing for me about the movie is that, like, I do think that the movie's a bit sloppier than it should be. It's not quite as tight as the stage show. But like the stage show, it is just so motherfucking infectious that I can't deny it. And it's not a movie I would tell people to watch to study if they want to make a successful movie musical. It's what I would I would only tell people to watch it if I'm like, if you want a vibe, if you want to like learn how to make a vibe on film, you can watch it. Because it's just it is pure joy from start to finish. Um yeah. and I, I will also I will also say, I will also say for this movie, despite so a few 
people being miscast. The one thing that everyone does well is everyone is on the same page. Everyone is in the same movie. They understand yes. what the vibe of the film is and they're all on board and they all are playing it exactly the same, which I appreciate because especially for a movie like this, if one person is playing it differently from everyone else, it all falls apart like a house of cards. The fact that Pierce Brosnan can sound like Pierce Brosnan and it still doesn't totally ruin the movie is a testament that everyone, at least acting wise, is in the same movie. I'm not going to knock them on the acting, these people like they they do their jobs. They understand every everyone, even uh, good old what's his name, um, who plays good old, good old uh, Dominic Cooper. Name? Dominic yeah. Cooper, who's like barely in the movie, is he, like he's Sky only has like a handful more lines in the stage show, but those handful of lines make a diff. But like he's still on board. Everyone's on board. The two friends of Sophie's that we don't really care about because whatever. I have I forget their names. They're oh, in like three God, scenes. Yeah. It's Allie and somebody. Yeah, I only, like, yeah. They're, yeah they're, they're they're plot devices. Lisa, Allie Lisa. and Lisa, and they're supposed to be the. I, I mean, I get it that they're that that they're they, the groups they, of friends. No, they 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 exist at the beginning of the movie and the show for Sophie to throw up exposition on. That is why <laughs> they are there. Um, and to also show us that, like, Sophie's not a total Rory Gilmore weirdo with no friends and, like, loves her mom. <laughs> she, like, where, actually made friends growing up. Where I'm just like, where where did where did she meet these people? I thought yeah. the whole point is that she's been, she barely goes to the mainland. So, like, the movie doesn't really take into account, and, and this, and the Broadway show, too, like, the the stage show of Mamma Mia, when it premiered in the West End, there's, like, a lot of stuff that's very specific to English folk especially in the fact that it came out in 1999 because a lot of the lyrics in some of the songs like in um our last summer make reference to the flower power and all these things which makes no sense if the movie takes place in 2008 and sophie is 20 because it means that sophie was born in 1988 which means that like best case scenario donna was like 30 when she had sophie which is not no this movie is a period piece i remember reading about this Except they never actually acknowledge that. You're right. Yes, but like they taught you see them in the 70s in 70s wear. Well, again, so because the stage show came out in 1999, which is I'm pretty sure exactly when it's supposed to take place, or at least the stage show. Yeah, that would mean Sophie was born in 79, probably conceived in 78, uh, which means Donna had her early years of uh, promiscuousness in the mid 70s. Yeah, during counterculture and all that. Yeah, which is like, which is honestly a little after Flower Power, but that also means that like Donna was, you know, a late teenager in the '60s Flower Power era. So yeah, it all it's all this is the little gray smudgy area of music. Yeah, it's all it's all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. But from what I understand, and any British folk who listen to this, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I understand like the way that Europe kind of works that there is sort of a lot of infiltration of different countries into other countries because it's all kind of small and interconnected. You know, like people from England will go to like Paris or, you know, will, you know, take a train to Italy or a bus to Germany on a whim for a weekend, you know? Oh, so, yes. Oh, yes. That's, yeah. that's that's true. That is that is true. Yeah. yeah. And even though Greece is obviously farther, like it's not unheard of for them, to, for someone from England to like go to Greece and like just decide to fuck it. I'm going to stay here. It's similar to us, you know backpacking our way across the country and like deciding oh i even though i grew up in new hampshire i'm gonna now live in arizona it's like that kind of a thing right um yeah. but of course in the movie donna is american 
and thus Sophie has an American accent, even though everyone on the island is Greek, uh, except for like a handful of British folk who also kind of live around there. The whole basis of Sophie's childhood is very gray. And like how the hotel came to be, because in the stage show, it's it's implied that Sam drew up the plans for the hotel on a cocktail napkin, which Donna kept and then used to build the hotel with money she got from Bill's uh, great aunt, aunt who gave her a lot of who gave her money to build it. Yeah. The movie doesn't go through all of that. They they keep the great aunt bit, but honestly, the thing about I there is the a movie... throwaway line of that Pierce Brosnan gives about like, oh, I drew this up. Oh, he did say that? He does say that, but it's not it seems not important though. Yeah. The thing is that in the stage show, at least for all of Act One, none of them know that Sophie could possibly be, be their child. And so they are looking at this whole thing as like, oh my God, this throwback to my past. So when Sam says like, oh yeah, I drew this on a cocktail napkin, he's not thinking like, wow, it's all about me. He, he's thinking like, how crazy is that, huh? And then when he realizes that Sophie could be his kid, that's when he's like, oh shit, the, gr- the ground is breaking underneath me. But... It's one of those things where like, they give you enough details that you can sort of put connect all the threads, but they don't give you a ton of details. And I actually think that's better because the more questions you answer, the more questions we then have. You mean for the as movie? We, as we've learned with the Disney live action remakes, the more answers you give us, the more questions we have. And so I'm like, just mm. I'm like, give us just enough so we understand that this takes place on planet Earth with human beings that eat food and shit like everybody else. After that, I don't really need all that much. It's it's just that I don't, I don't know. I think, I think, like I said, I am burnt out of the movie and that's why I was just like, not tuning in as hardcore as I usually do. Or sometimes do let's be real. Sometimes do. I mean, the music songs, they, I know that they cut some from the stage version under attack being one of them. I know that they filmed uh thank you for the music and cut it. Um, I don't think they I don't think they filmed it. I think that was they recorded exclusively for the final credits. They did film the name of the game and they cut that name of the game. I always get those confused Uh, because that's the one with uh, Sophie and Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, Bill, 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 which they they were right to cut it for the movie because my God, would that just kill the momentum completely? Yes. The difference with like the movie and the stage version is that like. The stage version is like breathing and you're it's life and you're with the audience and it's performative. And as we discussed, John, on a stage, you can buy yourself some more time. You can buy time. And also there are some lines of dialogue that you can forgive on a stage because people are singing like, (laughs) who cares? But like when a movie, you can't have the wedding scene play the same way that it does on the stage yeah exactly it feels a little weird like oh we have to wrap this shit up now because we're in a movie and blah 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 blah. but like it's 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 one of those things where you need you do need an audience reaction to make that scene land better like if that scene i remember that scene landing well in the movie theater when it was like 300 people laughing their asses off when you're like home alone and no one else is around you it's like is this landing i don't know but (laughs) even even with like five people in a room watching it you're probably just like uh okay and then they tried to get the 
the ensemble to be the audience or the audience reaction and it doesn't really work as well it doesn't i mean the dude crossing himself when he hears like donna slept with more than one man i was like that's funny but also like i don't know i it's hard to make it land on in a movie without an audience reaction. I don't know. It's or, I don't or even, I don't know what I would have them do differently. I just know that it's a very different setup. Vibe. <laughs> it's a different vibe, different setup. I will say, and I also want to give credit to Miss Amanda Zeifried, who I think Sophie is a hard role because she is the glue of that story, but she doesn't always get a lot of opportunities to be interesting. And she's also like not the hero. Not, no, but not, but not no the villain. Really, no one's really the hero or the villain of the show. Everyone's just sort of messy, but yeah. not mean spirited, which is why it it's it can feel like a comedy of manners. Because you know, all comedy comes from all oh, sorry, all comedic stories come from characters acting irrationally and stupidly, right? Uh, which again, in life, you don't want. You want people being on top of their shit and you know balanced in life but in a movie or a stage show please be a mess that's how drama happens again even though she's the glue she's not terribly interesting she's often reactive and i think amanda zyfrey does a very good job of being gregarious in in the role and especially in that scene with her and Marilyn, she's like i don't care if you've slept with hundreds of men like it's she's very earnest about it but clearly knows what the comedy is supposed to be so she hits the right words while still being an ingenue and also looking like a million dollars in a dress that's ugly as fuck (laughs) and and like she's saying the lines at the end being like i don't need to know my father and, uh, and blah 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 let's not get married that i felt like she was playing too big for a movie sure. i mean i think her i think that the um internal monologue she was having with sky was like let's not get married and see the world and fuck other people but she can't say that because even though she's got three dads this movie promotes monogamy yeah because everyone gets partnered up at the end yeah when she's like sam i'm not a bigamist he's like neither am i i'm divorced she's like great let's fuck our brains out <laughs> i'm like i'm sorry and what if he wasn't divorced donna you could still fuck his brains out. You're two human beings. You're going to die one day. Might as well fuck. And Harry never says the words, I'm gay. No. Which I think he does in the stage show. No. No, he always says my other half. That's yes. It. He, he, he's partnered in the show, whereas in the movie, he's single and, and gets together with an island boy, which I'm like, get your judge, Harry. But yeah, in the, in the show, he says my other half. And then you find out in act two that the other half is a man. Right. Which and is then... fine. And then uh, Julie Walters and Stellan Skarsgård end up together and Christine Baranski ends up with Pepper? Christine Baranski kind of still ends up on her own. She clearly gave Pepper enough of a taste the night of the hen party. How far they went, we don't know. But it's clear it was enough to get him. him. You think she fucked him? She fucked him. Yeah, she pegged him. He did not fuck her. She, well, so do you think that Christine Baranski rode Pepper to near death or pegged him to near extinction? Yes. Why yes. not both? Christine Baranski did the thing. She did the th- <laughs> Christine Baranski did the, did thing. the thing. So I did this. So I don't know if you saw this, John. I did do a drunk movie night in preparation for this episode. I did. And I laughed my ass off because I Thank loved you. watching you. Do the choreo. <laughs> 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 I, 
<laughs> some of the choreo but i have a thing and i'm sorry for anyone who is offended by the f word but i'm gonna say it i had this realization with some friends a while back there are some actresses in this world of show who are faggots and i say this with all the love in my heart these are women who have surrounded themselves with phenomenal gay men and have learned from them what it is to be special and interesting beth level faggot like jennifer samard faggot these are women who are just such aliens and amazing and i watched mama mia and i went christine bransky is a faggot it's like and and i was like and you want to know how i know is that i would say that to her face and she would say thank you and this is is how you know and this is the third movie you've done with christine bransky in it as episodes on my podcast yes and when i saw that in your insta story or whatever i was just like she is a faggot in all three movies that we've done together in all three movies yeah because because like because i think it's just christine baranski as a person not the characters the characters are whatever but she has she brings the gravitas to everything or she, i'm sorry yeah. let, let me let me correct myself she brings the gravitas Christine Baranski just sounds rich. You can't have yes. Christine Baranski play the beggar woman in Sweeney Todd because you'd be like, I'm sorry, is this a trading places situation? Why is this heiress outside of the pie shop? Yeah, that we're, worth millions, clearly. Because Tanya, the uh Tanya is supposed to be what, like thrice divorced or thrice yeah. widowed? Thr- or something divorced. Like that? She's divorced. It's this is not a black widow situation. Right, so she has money, but she's also divorced from people, uh, and you don't know what she actually does for a living. Um, just marry rich and be f- and be fabulous. That's what she does for a living. I, by the way, I loved watching her in uh, Dancing Queen because she's wearing a like tight dress. If it's not nece- not bodycon, but it's tight. And so doing the choreo on the pier, she has to like, uh, I don't know if she did it for a character or if she did it for the dress itself, but like she has to like alter her movements. Can't be as big as everyone else. And I was just like, get it, get it, get it. (laughs) She's a two-time Tony winning actress for a reason and multi-Emmy winning actress as well. She makes choices and then she knows how to work within the confines of what she's given. She's just a blessing year round. Especially that little petticoat that she wears in that number. She wears it three different ways. And I'm like, I fucking love you. I'm I'm going to say this on this episode, even though I know you're going to cover it in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. She has a line of dialogue that I'm pretty sure gave the world COVID. She has a line of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again that is such the end of cinema that I'm pretty sure birthed COVID because they were like, no movies can ever exist after this. Are you going to say it? I want you to say of it. Of course I'm going to say it. I think you know what it is. I know it's what it is. She she, enter, she comes back on the island with Julie Walters. They're on the in the Jeep with Amanda Seyfried. And she introduces them to Andy Garcia. And Christine Bransky looks at him and she says, Be still my beating vagina. Love it. Oh. Oh. And that proves your point of her being a faggot. She's a faggot. Because she read the script and she was like, done. I'm in. She's not see, see when we when you say this and when I agree with you I know what you mean. It's yeah. not like 
Because, like, we have the pantheon of divas, right? Yeah. But, like, when we say that women are faggots, it's like they surpass the pantheon of divas. They're it's on a- M- Mount Olympus. Well, it's it's a very it's a very niche subcategory of diva because, like, how do I describe this? I love Patty Lapone. I don't think Patty's a faggot. No, no, she at level Jennifer yes. Samart are. Yes, yeah. They, <laughs> you ever see the meme of like the angel, uh, uh, uh like knighting somebody, and it's like gays and then people we allow to say faggot yeah (laughs) like that's what we mean we're like christine Peransky, please just call me i i may have to censor it just because of the amount of times we say it and you can believe it you can believe it you can believe it i'm 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 okay with you bleeping it okay uh i hope so if, if 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 you do fully bleep it so you can't hear the word i won't say it again but just know it rhymes with baguette. Uh, <laughs> and I say it pretty freely on my own. Partly, A, because um, I know it, for many people it's a triggering slur. I fully believe we as queer men are allowed to reclaim it and uh, recalibrate its power, right? Of what yeah. it means, who it can be about. And that doesn't mean anyone can say it, but rather like, it doesn't that's word doesn't hurt me anymore because I have spent years trying to defang it and make it mean something else. Um, and even if someone tries to throw it to me as an as an insult, I'm like, okay. I mean, technically speaking, it is true. But also, if I'm now a faggot, if now if it's Christine Baranski saying it to you, you'd be like, can I kiss the ground that you walk on, please? Thank you. Or or if I'm like, I'm a faggot, so is Christine Baranski. Like it's I'm in great company. By all means, <laughs> throw a stone at me because christy bransky will bevel with me and go huh what of it it's that is she is she is an ally to end all allies also honestly every woman in this movie is an ally just for being in this movie amanda yeah. zyfried for her boobs meryl streep for meryl streep with tongue julie walters for just most likely eating ham every day on set she kisses him as if she is uh pussy galore or whatever she, bond girl name she wants to be she kisses him like she's Jonathan Groff and Pierce Brosnan is my butt cheeks. <laughs> I'm using that. I'm using that. <laughs> I also said that purely to see how much it would kill you. God damn it. I'm using it though. It's okay. free, free to use. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get into sharp and flat? No, we're good. We've, I'm enjoying this thoroughly. Oh, but but seriously, when they uh, I, I when they reprise Dancing Queen at the end, yeah, what drugs is Meryl on? Or oh, she goes, it, do you want another one? Another one? Do you want another one? So, I think, but okay, I think that is part of the whole. Like everyone's just having fun. It's okay. Have you ever been to an improv show where like the improv team is clearly having more fun than the audience? Like they're cracking each other up, and the audience is not buying it. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a little that vibe where they all again, because everyone had such an amazing time making this movie. It was sort of like throwing spaghetti at the wall of sort of like, I don't know, well, I don't like this choice. Who cares? It made Christine Bransky laugh. Or like, <laughs> I guarantee you when Meryl did it, like, do you want because she had to say it? Obviously, She had to say, like, do you want another one? Because they have to get into Waterloo. 
and it's her version of like work in the crowd but they're on a soundstage where no one can make any sounds like it's just her sounded into the void so i guarantee you she did it that way to make philida lloyd laugh behind the camera like it's that it's that i mean it's clearly a silent like you said a silent soundstage confetti just came on their face um Mm -hmm. and you know she's just like Fuck it, it's 3 a.m. This is take 20. Let's fucking go. Yup, yup, yup. And like, I gotta just make the crew laugh at this point. So that's what I th- I guarantee that's what that was. I have and a maybe- feeling, I have a feeling those were also filmed last. Probably. It Probably. feels like it, right? Something like that. I also I also want to say, um, for anyone who wasn't around at this time, I don't know how to describe how Dominic Cooper and Amanda Zeyfried beat out so many people for these roles. It doesn't feel like this movie was super high priority for a lot of people. But once Meryl became attached, every young actress in Hollywood was up for Sophie. I know Rachel McAdams was, Mandy Moore was. Uh, There's a very famous video of Chris Kelly of American Pie and election fame auditioning for Sky. And it's, it's a lot. But every young actor who could carry a note went in for this movie so it was very huge that amanda zyfried got it um and was like all over the posters and everything like this was touted to be sort of her emergence as like the next big young hollywood star and that never actually happened she's always worked she's always been like well known but anytime you saw a movie like when you're like why is amanda zyfried above the title for letters for juliet it's because she's riding off of the success of mamma mia that's why all right let's get into strap and flat shall we let's do it Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. If we didn't like it, I thought it could change. It's flat. And because it's a second chance theater, we're going to see if John agrees with his first chance. Well, and spoiler alert, he does. Uh, but Matt, okay. what do you want to start with? The The floor is yours. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna hash out some stupid shallow ones first, then we can get into bigger ones. Great. Uh, sharp. Amanda Zyfried's boobs. Sharp. Pierce Brosnan's chest hair. Sharp. Dominic Cooper's abs. Uh, sharp. Uh, this the Pinewood sound stages. Sharp. Yes. The island of Greece. Uh, yes. Sharp. The young female dancing ensemble. Sharp. The character actresses playing all the ladies of Greece. Sharp the donkey that rides Amanda Zyfried up to the to the chapel. Oh my sharp, god, yes. Sharp the fact that the wedding band is playing Knowing Me, Knowing You before the wedding begins. Um <laughs> and sharp Abba for just having like amazing bops. Like those bops should be like a musical shield for any army that's going out to war because you can't infiltrate them. They are unbreakable bops. Yeah. I, I also, to get another pers- personal story in, mm-hmm. I saw Abba Voyage in London. No way. It was everything. When it I'll comes bet. here, you have to go see it. Oh, I will. Oh, I also want a sharp um, sex in your middle agedom. I want a sharp sexual freedom and expression. Uh, anything else yes. I want to sharp? I want to sharp May, December sexual romances. Young men going after older women. Young men recognizing when a faggot in a red swimsuit is in before him and saying, I want me a piece of that. <laughs> and anything else I want to sharp? That's it for me. Flats? Uh, flats, the wig department. The wig <laughs> department for this movie should get killed. Death to them all. Uh, flat, plot inconsistencies. Flat, Pierce Brosnan's singing voice. 
flat yeah. slut shaming Donna for getting three dicks in a month. Honey, that's a Wednesday night for some people. Flat everyone in Greece speaking English, I guess. And flat Pierce Brosnan's headshot being his passport photo. So, okay, I saw you post that too. And I looked at Colin Firth and it looked like that was from a red carpet event. I know. No, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And so I thought about that as well. I was like, okay, but here's the thing. At the very least, the like red carpet event is still like in the moment. You right. Can... But I was just like, headshot, head, red carpet event, probably a personal I don't think picture Stellans for is a Stellan. Headshot. I don't think no, Stellans no, I meant, is a headshot. You think Stellans is a headshot as well? I don't think Stellans is a headshot. I, I, think... th- I was going to say that Stellans is like a personal photo. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Stellan legit sent them a personal photo. He's like, for for the artist, he wants he wants it to look as real as possible. And Phil was like, I don't know, Pierce, you got something from People magazine you want us to use? That's clearly from 10 years ago. <laughs> I was yeah. Uh why mad about it though? I honestly, in that movie, they're all a fucking snack. Yeah, they are. Uh yeah. any other sharps or flats? Flats, um, I love Meryl. This is not her best vocal performance. I, if she, if she, if her voice was in the shape for Mamma Mia as it was in the prom, it, I would be so happy. She doesn't sound bad in this movie. It just is not. It's be, it's it's because it was it wasn't prop. It probably wasn't as trained as it was by the time she did the prom. No, I know absolutely, absolutely. Um, which is so. what I, which is what I mean. Yeah, and I, and I want to just remind people: there, all the conspiracy theories you hear about the dubbing of Meryl is not true. And the reason why you can tell it's not true is that there are a million different beliefs as to the different Broadway actresses who have dubbed her, and all those women sound so different from each other, and none of them sound like the vocals that Meryl does in those movies. Where I'm like, it's it's clearly Meryl. Maybe a computer sweetened a couple of notes, but like Donna Murphy did not come in during Into the Woods post to sweeten some high notes. Beth Level did not come in during the prom post to sweeten Meryl's high notes. I'm just, I'm telling you that now. No, it's, it's all her. Yeah. Um, okay, so like I said, I agree with my former Sharps and Flats. I do want to emphasize my flat on the Aphrodite's fountain that they added because yeah. it's dumb, especially the slow-mo. It's like yeah why is that needed why is every i mean i get it it's like maybe and by maybe i mean it's not maybe it is a innuendo for everyone climaxing because sexy time (laughs) they're all wet at the end they're all wet and soon to be covered in cum so might as well might as well um so i do have some new stuff my new i'll start with flats uh I, I really only have two of each. So my new flats are the, the I hated the uh Meryl's shawl work. I did I was just like, just let it go. Just stop. Just stop. Just in uh in The Winner Takes It All. Cause like like you said, it's great on stage because you're there and you're witnessing them and like, mm-hmm. you know, the beauty of theater is in sometimes in the stillness, but yeah. like when you're doing a movie, you gotta do, we gotta do something. And they chose like, if it was them walking, that would be one thing because there's still movement. And she's like, listen, I don't, I'm going to monologue to you right now, but we're walking to the church. It doesn't, 
but like they're standing still for however long that song is <laughs> does it make sense yeah there needs to be some movement in that number it needs to go from one location to another and it yeah. doesn't uh, she needs to be on the donkey say singing the song um i'd i'd buy a ticket for that and then my other flat Ooh. is for uh, in the beginning of the movie when uh, Sophie and Donna's friends show up respectively and they have uh-huh. their own little chants that never come back. I'm like, who? What? Okay. Yeah. What? Well, first of all, it's clearly they, it's clear they haven't seen each other in a, in a minute. So they're like, oh my god, our, our chant from the old times. And then before they can do it again, shit keeps hitting the fan and they're like, no time for the, for the chance. We have to get back to the task at hand. Right. And then I, I also do want to emphasize again. My 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 flat on those chances that I think those chances are just bad. They're just <laughs> bad. Yeah. And then my, my I do want to also emphasize my flat from the first chance on like how what are their names? Allie and Lisa are just like there. I feel like in the stage show they have a little bit more to do. I actually I don't think they do. Oh shit. Okay. But I think they actually have less to do in the show. Great, but like then they're just there, and you're like, we're in a movie. Like, I don't know, utilize them more because I feel like the movie also forgets about them because <laughs> to focus yeah. on on Christine Baranski and Julie Walters. Yeah, well, so, again, it's one of those things where like because there are so many characters introduced, we some are gonna fall by the wayside, and right. I I would love it if there was some moment where like Allie and Lisa like helped to save the day at some point not that anything huge but you know bring them back in some way uh they don't have to be throughout the movie but it's sort of like they're in they have a lot of prominence in the first scene and they don't really pop up again until the hen party and and then, then like, they the have day after when they're like we're gonna the, mor- the morning after yeah yeah um and then they kind of fade from view after that But again, I think because, like, we don't necessarily care about them so much. They're a plot device. I'm not angry about it. I'm just sort of like, yeah, it would be be nice, but... It would be nice. That's that's also part of Flats. It would be nice. It would be nice. But also, what was my impression of critics of this movie? (laughs) 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 So, my new Sharps... I laughed out loud when the priest played the chimes during I Do, so I want to sharp that. Because it's... Cause like, cause this movie gets itself sometimes, sometimes few and far between. And that's one of the times where they're like, we understand what we're doing. Oh, I think the movie always understands what it's doing. I just don't think it always sticks the landing. Do you know, do yes. you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, I will, like, I will yeah. amend my statement and agree with you on that one. The, the movie is always doing floor gymnastics. It just doesn't always finish well. It tumbles sometimes. Short, but short like deal. not not in not in a good way in like the in like the oh you may have broken your ankle kind of way um exactly uh but then my other new sharp is okay so i highlighted this on the first chance because on my other podcast movie deja vu my co-host said that the lumiere brothers invented film for the lay all your love on me peer dance break <laughs> I think they invented film for the Chikatita number or, or for those brief seconds where we see all three men in their 70s selves. When we see Pierce Brosnan in his, <laughs> in his goatee and long hair, that dance break, man, I fucking love it. <laughs> this is another moment where the, where the movie, it, it sticks the landing this time with the, yeah. we understand what we're doing. Yes. We're going to have four guys pretend to be the ducklings in Swan Lake. While wearing fucking flippers on their feet. 
Yeah. That's the reason why Rita Moreno threw the seventh brick at Stonewall was so we could have this moment. <laughs> yes, you are 100% correct with that. Um, would you add any of these songs to your life's playlist? I think if you can't find a single song here to add to your life's playlist, you're not a person I want to know. You sound like not any fun. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that I play. In fact, I think tomorrow when I go to the gym, I will play half this soundtrack on the on the treadmill. Uh, I love Winner Takes It All. I think it's a wonderful ballad in terms of bops that I can just psych myself up for. Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen, Honey Honey is a secret bop. I love Does Your Mother Know. I think Does Your Mother Know slaps hard. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I I agree with what I said last time to you. Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen, Layla, Love of Me, Gimme, 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 Voulez-Vous, Does Your Mother Know, Take a Chance on Me. I think... Per this conversation, I will also add Winner Takes It All because mm-hmm. I feel like that's a more emotional moment in the movie that mm-hmm. than slipping through my fingers. Although Meryl does great with both of them, but I feel like I don't know, if I'm in the if I'm in the sads or something, like Winner Takes It All will be yeah. my song. Slipping through my fingers is more sort of like to quote Kimberly Kimbo, it's the bittersweets. It's not sad, sad. It's just, it's just uh, like oh, and I yeah. and, and like I, I think I like slipping through my fingers more when it's the duet part. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. But I like, will say it's it's it it's very powerful on the stage show because it's you watch the whole process of Sophie getting ready and then it ends with her getting in the dress and it's you because you're seeing the whole process happen in real time. It's a really beautiful finishing moment whereas the movie it's like a montage Montage. yeah and like oh let's look at through old like baby photos of yourself and it's (laughs) where amanda where amanda seffried has a band-aid on her shin and it's never explained well she clearly cut herself shaving but also (laughs) like girl like girl your your dress is five thousand layers of tulle no one's gonna see your legs like calm down (laughs) and also you're a bright blonde if you have any hair in your legs no one's gonna see it Unless, you know, she tripped and fell on set or something. Like that could also no, she shaved her she was shaving her legs. She was shaving. She was shaving. She <laughs> wants to make it nice and smooth for this guy. <laughs> well, Matt. Patriarchy, baby. Matt, on that note, we're done with the episode. Woo! We did it. We did it, Joe. <laughs> Matt, what do you have to plug or promote? I have a podcast, everybody. It's called Broadway Breakdown. Not to brag, but when you search Broadway in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it is the first one to pop up. Kudos. I don't know what's going to be happening in mid-August. Either we'll be finishing up the big move covering off-Broadway to Broadway transfers, or we'll be on hiatus, or we will have started a new series, of which I don't know yet. But yeah, if uh, if you've listened to this and liked it, and I don't have a new episode, just hold tight. There will be new ones, or there's a whole catalog you can listen to. Uh, it's been a fun ride so far this year. May want to can... listen to that episode on working. Yeah, John did an episode on working. Uh, I know I gave you shit at your birthday concert, but you will be coming back, John. I'm waiting for the right show for you, because... With working, it very much was sort of like, I need someone you to cover this. need a slot, yeah. I need a slot. I'm like, and I guarantee you're going to be as indifferent to the show as I am. So it'll be fun to hear two people su- super indifferent about working talk about working. <laughs> uh, the fact that we were able to get like an hour and 40 out of it is insane to me. 
but it's us have you met us come on have you met us have you met me i love to talk so i'm waiting for, i'm waiting for a show where i would either know that you know it or a show where i'm like i don't think john knows this and i really want to hear his hot take on it so i'm here for I, the latter i'm here for it the depends it depends on what the next series is unclear yet i have a couple of options but i'm figuring it out okay so just stay tuned everybody and we we had some hot takes this episode and if you agreed or disagreed with them feel free to let me know you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com i'm also on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at buttersongpod why is christine baranski your goddess yeah or is it julie walters or is it julie walters or is it meryl meryl is just on a whole other level although i'll be honest i don't think meryl's a fag she's not no, but she's in the the diva pantheon. Yeah, I think she'd be absolutely thrilled if you told her she was one. She'd be like, "Oh my god, thank you so much." But I, but she also be like, "I don't think I am either, sweetie." And I'm like, you know what? You're right. That's a true. She's an ally. She knows. She's she's like, oh, but I can't say it back to you. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah, you're like, I, we get you, Julie. Well, Wal- if you say it to Julie Walters, though, she may be like, "Fuck yeah." I think if you said it to Julie Walters because she's British, she'd be like, "Well, I'm a cigarette." <laughs> uh and i spoiled it earlier but if you want to be part of next episode's conversation we're breaking format because it's my podcast so my rules so we're doing mama mia here we go again second chance theater uh matt thank you so much for coming back on again 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 for having me john i love being on this podcast i love talking to you about movies yeah i would I, i don't know if i have anything for you in the future so oh nope i do have one that i will remind you once we're done uh have i heard of this already yes, or no you you picked it you definitely I picked, it? picked it yes you did okay i can't wait i can't wait i love making choices that i forget <laughs> uh but thank you everyone for listening and bye for now special thanks to justin johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to nick bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.